podcast. Woo. Yes. Hello, people. Welcome to Creative Theater Podcast. Shows that brings you conversations with visual artists about how they got to where they got, what their day-to-day is like, what their struggles are, thoughts in the art world, and a lot, a lot more. Today in studio, I have a studio mate. Uh, <laughs> he's a really hardworking artist, painter, muralist, just a powerhouse, Michael Rosen. <laughs> Welcome to the studio. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, stopping by. I, yeah, thanks for taking the time. I know this is always of course. Sunday. Uh, Vancouver, BC, Canada is where we're at. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my, Michael's kind enough to uh, stop by here. Um, I think I should st- we should start this by describing your work. Uh, okay. I-, I can start and you're going to help me out. Because, <laughs> okay. you know, I think uh, often something we discuss is that your work goes between uh, abstract and representational, mm-hmm. very textured. And I think you play with texture a lot. So, I mean, you'll get those clean sp- spaces, but it's yeah. it's uh, often very present. Yeah. Um, that's uh, accurate. Yeah. Well, a- anything I'm missing? Anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, I think the the journey's been a lot of abstract and more recently more representational. Now, you know, blending back into abstract. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, texture has always been a big thing. Blending acrylic paint to kind of represent mm-hmm. an oil feel has always been a challenge and something I've you know strived towards. Um, yeah. But using a lot more aerosol these days. Pastel's always been a big component. That one uh, feels so good. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically, just trying to achieve oil painting without use, without using oil. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, but why? Because you said like mimicking oil with acrylic. Yeah, I mean, I love the depth of oil and um, the way you can create texture. Brush strokes are just so much more apparent. Um, acrylic can feel flat and plasticky. Totally. Um, so, you know, using varnishes and different sorts of uh, mediums to try and to mimic, like you're saying, oil. But, uh, yeah, I just don't really have the patience yet <laughs> for oil. <laughs> um, I mean, watching you paint and, and Drew paint, obviously, I started to consider it more and, you know, did my first oil painting this year after, you know, almost six years <laughs> <laughs> working with acrylic. And nice. <coughs> I think oil sticks, too, is a, is a frontier I want to start um, oh yeah, using more, uh, but in like meaning like instead of um, pastels. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so far I've just used them kind of in the same capacity. I use pastel, so accenting and outlines yeah. and that sort of thing. But I think using them uh, as you would oil paint. Yeah. Um, but then you cool. probably need quite a. Uh, it depends on, but like a big range. Yeah, I mean, I would I would use maybe acrylic as well to you know fill backgrounds and yeah. stuff. But you would. Um, create smaller shapes maybe mm-hmm. with oil stick or pastel as well one thing i like i only bought one <laughs> i only have one oil stick and it's orange so uh, it probably says something about the colors that like <laughs> but uh, i was used to, I, I used it in one one thing is that like the saturation the thickness of uh, the pigment i mean because i'm mean, you're just p- painting drawing with straight pigment so it actually stays so for example like with orange i found what was cool is that you get a pretty saturated thick like opaque yeah there where i think you know if you're trying to use actual oil paint you probably have to go pretty thick with it right yeah i like that yeah i mean that's kind of the way i've used pastel as well you can get <coughs> oil sticks a little bit better for it but you can get uh, a nice line yeah real easy and then but okay so th- you work pretty big though if you had to work let's say you have to do um you know if let's say it's like 10 by 10 foot painting right. and then try to make a oil pastel mark mm-hmm. but on that scale you know uh, 
Yeah, that's where the How oil stick comes in. Is because they're thicker? Is that they're, why? Yeah, you have oh, okay. large, um, and you can get different, you know, sizes of them. Yeah, because that's what I was thinking is that like if you want to scale it up, certain mediums don't scale up as yeah. well. You know, uh, yeah. The guy like the uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ares. Mm -hmm. One thing that I, I found he did really well was make a. Actually, so does um, I think Itam Crew. They they make their sketchbook drawings or paintings, you know, scaled up on a wall. So whatever scaled up like. 50, 100 times yeah. and still maintain that stroke. That's something that's pretty, pretty interesting to me. Yeah, Ares is a good example of that. Um, his outlines look yeah, like yeah. his sketch outlines. Totally. And uh, I think it's it's probably a small roller. That's what we were talking about when uh, yeah. Michael was kind enough to team up with me on the mural. So <laughs> we were chatting about all that. We, yeah. we found, <laughs> found out. I mean, we probably knew about it, but for me, it was a discovery about the like one, one and a half inch little flat flathead rollers. rollers. Yeah. Man, it made nice marks. I got to go outside and do that. Yeah. I mean, even using those in uh, in studio work, you know, on canvas or panels that are large enough mm -hmm. or even small enough if you want to just get that thickness and the uh, maneuverability of it. Yeah. Okay. While well we're talking, if you want to check out Michael's work, so you're, uh, I mean, our description is definitely enough. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a website. It's uh, michaelrosen.com with right. a Z. Yeah. And uh, as it well, Instagram, which is at m.rosen that's right the same way today i was looking <laughs> for your uh instagram account when i googled it at home it took me to a german instagram oh yeah and then when i googled it here at the studio it took me to a chinese instagram like for some reason it was translating into chinese weird do you know uh, what's up with that <laughs> like you googled my name or how did you okay people listening you should try because i would be like, it was like at mrosen or m.rosen instagram mm -hmm. and then you click on it but it's in chinese no and it was like chinese no traditional idea. yeah 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 well <laughs> I, was, I thought it was you like traveling too much because first it was Germ German and, and I thought okay you know you probably you're going there you travel maybe there's some reason there I don't know <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> yeah this, this is a bad question uh, <laughs> uh, let's see because oh yeah so I was talking about the abstract and representational because I was mm -hmm. looking at your even 2015 work yeah. and you you already started doing it there you know you had some landscapes but then at the same time certain pieces were full-on abstract i don't think there was i don't know if there was a crossover it's almost like back then it was two different things that you're uh, playing yeah. with i mean a lot of the work i did then and still sometimes now uh is you know commissioned landscape see that's what i was gonna ask yeah, yeah commission versus what you like to do yeah uh, what's that divide is it re is that the uh, representational abstract split yeah i mean now it's more broad but back then it was i only really wanted to paint abstract but mm. you know that's a <laughs> it's a not as marketable here, I think in Vancouver, mo most people that I, you know, sell our work to want natural beauty, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, or, or some sort of, uh, you know, landscape, cityscape, that sort of thing. Man, it's so hard not to make those paintings cliche or like cheesy. Right. Like, especially when people are like, yeah, I want a green pasture with some yeah. nice trees and happy clouds and you just go Bob Ross. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would always try to incorporate some sort of abstract element so usually the yeah, sky yeah. would end up you know kind of like fun and and uh it would allow me to experiment a little bit more than i would just you know paint a blue sky or something mm -hmm. like that yeah similar clouds to a photograph or smart something. you gotta yeah gotta gotta take it somewhere uh, especially if you want to make it yours uh, yeah exactly you you mentioned that you're using quite a lot of aerosol lately is that um is like did you do because i don't know if i asked you did you do graffiti back then and then is that how you learned spray uh yeah i mean i've been working with spray since i was a teenager and i think now the purpose i'm using it for is just the mark making ability mm -hmm. you can 
and it's temperamental and you know <laughs> you got to kind of just trust the universe sometimes with it <laughs> if you're going to just go over a piece that's you know nearly done but you want you know a few lines here or or a big line through a, a section of the painting um you got to kind of just cross your fingers <laughs> and and try you know maybe do a couple attempts on a, a scrap piece of wood or something but how many paintings have you destroyed <laughs> that way <laughs> yeah none so far okay. but that's not to say or i haven't destroyed paintings yeah, i've yeah. definitely done that <laughs> um but yeah i think uh aerosol is it's fun and but in moderation like i always try and paint acrylic and then just use it as a mark making kind of uh mm-hmm tool uh, when you're uh, because there's so much emphasis in your work through on mark making is there um like did you are you boring this techniques or inspired by certain artists or do are these just coming out of uh, exploration in the studio i mean both yeah i think it's i mean obviously i don't live in a vacuum i'm influenced by lots mm-hmm. of different people um some examples uh like in the abstract world recently taylor a white mm-hmm. is a painter and and paints with fabric paints with aerosol paints with lots of different paints types of fabric of, yeah i mean it's <laughs> like his, his work is yeah. is pretty diverse um but yeah he's been an influence um yeah aries has also been you know he's mm-hmm. a big influence for you um yeah there's there's lots of people out there that you know i'll, I'll look at their work and think about how a portion or a tool or a certain element that they're you know experimenting with could influence my work in some way or another but do you take time to just like figure out new ways of mark making for yourself for sure is that you know outside of making work just as a way of practice or like how do you how do you find time to discover those uh, like like new tricks i guess uh yeah i think there's always kind of a couple panels in uh, in the studio that i've been playing around with or you know just get painted over and then new things get tried and that i think helps um work through creative blocks as well if you can just get painting on something and it might not necessarily be something that you're trying to do for a client or um even try and like create a specific thing you just have that panel kind of always going yeah yeah. um yeah, it can kind of just like warm you up, so to speak, and and that way you're you're not uh you know stuck trying to just work on this one thing that's you know client based or you're trying to develop a certain thing. Mm-hmm. It just allows you to you know get into that flow. One thing that uh, I find always interesting is watching abstract artists paint and try to see where they're trying to take it, because mm-hmm. what you're reaching for in an abstract painting, uh, you know, is not tied to anything that's like you know with a representational work you can kind of know where anchors are where certain things need to speak away and then of course you take i mean there's a lot a lot of room to change it but then with abstract work it feels like well you want to take it where you want to take it um which is both scary and delightful at times (laughs) yeah but so then do you know where you want to take typically these pieces that you make uh no i think that's uh something i've kind of just always had a, as a part of my uh creative process is just a a willingness to just jump into things without mm-hmm. uh you know sometimes blind sometimes without even a color palette and i think that was you know maybe 30 percent of the time successful and so <laughs> as i've matured as an artist it's become apparent that you know planning does help and 
um, that success rate can become yeah. uh, you know greater. And, and I guess, yeah, that's a, I'm trying uh, trying to understand because like yeah, if you're planning, I mean, just because abstract doesn't mean it, it won't be tangible. You mm -hmm. can still reference yourself to like a sure, even if it's like a like you said color palette or something like that. You can set yourself to, yeah, mm -hmm. interesting. So uh, these days. I want to talk about your uh, last uh, or about your solo show in a bit, but mm -hmm. these days when you plan for work, what does that look like? Uh, I think color palette is like mainly what I've been focusing on. Uh, trying to at least pick or curate a, a set of colors, set of accents, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. mm, then, you know, composition is something I'm a little bit more, I'll let be a little bit more free, you know, um, but you know, recently I've been doing just minimal sketches to try and get an idea of how to break up the space into at least, you know, several forms. And then those can change, you know, immediately after, but at least getting them on there, seeing how it looks, seeing all of the colors play with each other. And, you know, with the abstract work, it can really just jump from there pretty yeah. easily. Because those landscape paintings you did, the Oh, the one, like, w I think you said it was a commission where it was, like, you could flip it upside down, and, yeah. Yeah. That one looked like, I'm pretty sure I saw sketches um, on the wall. Yeah. I mean, that, that planning seemed to really make sense, especially because you're working with such geometric shapes in that one. Yeah. Where it felt like it had to be thought out, rather than if it was, like, an organic-looking, um, more organic shapes probably be easier, right? Yeah, it was definitely um, dealing with perspective and, yeah. you know, trying to create that surrealist feeling of mm -hmm. when you're looking at it, you... Uh, are led by you know posts that recede into the background towards a mountain range mm -hmm. but then they also f do that flipped upside down into mm -hmm. another mountain range so it creates kind of like a playing card uh, dynamic so you can hang the painting both ways and then and trying to achieve that there's you know difficulty in, in getting the, the level of precision needed um, you haven't posted that one have you, you haven't no not yet okay. well. yeah I gotta um, I've actually just received uh, notification that uh, I bought a swivel yeah. that's used for Lazy Susans <laughs> to put on the back of the painting, and that's how I'm going to hang it for the client. That's pretty smart. So they'll be able to, you know, turn it in their home. Does it lock or no? Will it lock to a certain position? Uh, I don't think so, but I think that weight, if it's balanced properly, mm. will just let it allow it to sit. Nice. You could hang it sideways if you wanted to. <laughs> that's pretty clever. I, I wonder how many people would want that. Maybe you could just get it as a, make a patent for it, you know, a, a swivel painting I, I mean i think it's been done place. yeah yeah have you found it because you had to re do research on this didn't you uh no i mean when i went to home depot i had the idea for the swivel and they were like here's what we have and it's actually going to be quite difficult to install so it might be more <laughs> trouble than it's worth but i think it will look cool and documenting it that way will be nice yeah. um, make big holes in a wall for that thing yeah, I've still yet to figure <laughs> out exactly how it's going to fit, but yet definitely a couple holes. <laughs> Logistics of hanging art. I mean, yeah. You've got to be a carpenter just just a little bit. Yeah, essentially yeah. it's going to be attached to two pieces of wood, and those two p pieces of wood will be attached to the painting and one to the wall, and then okay. those will allow it to swivel. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah. And the piece is only, you know, six bucks or something. So. Okay. <laughs> it's cheap. So you, you, you're saying if we went into this industry and started making our own hanging uh, devices, it wouldn't work? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it might. I don't know what the market share is, though. We're going to find out. We're going to do some research after this. Um, so, yeah, Archo first solo, 2019. First solo, yeah. Uh, state of mind. Uh, was there a um, 
like a over overarching theme for that one? Uh, yeah, I wanted to basically look at um, what I termed the mental architecture of creativity. Mm -hmm. So that was an in, you know introspective thing, as well as looking what other people and their creative processes have uh, looked like and and what they've experienced. So each piece kind of looked at one component of of that general theme, um, which allowed me to paint and create an installation uh, on quite broad terms and genres. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, it felt cohesive, but you know, there was abstract and then quite representational, like the, probably the most representational I painted mm -hmm. in a piece like the, you know, the hanging shoes or, or something like that. And then, you know, everything in between. Um, and so to, yeah, trying to attribute uh, connotation to those paintings through this theme was a lot of fun as well, thinking about how to relay a message through content um, and then how those speak uh, as a group together mm -hmm. um, and then hanging them all together and, and you know, creating a, an experience for the viewer to walk through, you know, from one end, you kind of enter that space and you walk through around the installation, which was, you know, a table on the floor with a bunch of items on it that we're referencing artists, colleagues of mine, or past experiences, and then w a similar table painted with a bunch of objects on it, glued or nailed in, mm -hmm. hanging upside down to reference uh, a duality of imagination and reality mm -hmm. and how they kind of play. And there's, a, there's also a reference to um, Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam mm -hmm. because there's two plants and one plant is reaching down and then there's a plant on the, on the table below it reaching out mm -hmm. and they're not touching but they're close <laughs> so there's a little bit of tension there that was fun to play with and kind of just happened spontaneously actually those plants um were like bought the day of <laughs> look really cool and i think uh, you, one thing you, you mentioned that like you you painted those elements too in a way you would make your paintings yeah which I, that that's what to me that's what made it it felt like you you really claimed it as your own like yeah. it was a sculpture that was you yeah that was uh period I was doing a lot of still life which I'd never really done before mm -hmm. and that was a lot of fun to just paint objects you know start with something that's tangible it mm -hmm. allows the viewer to enter the painting a little bit easier yeah, yeah. and then you can abstract those things or the backgrounds around it or whatever but yeah th those were kind of the impetus for um, that structure you that was, know, a, that was a really good idea bringing too. in those you know fruit and, and objects cool yeah it was a really good idea to do that sculpture I think uh, it looked like it really brought the place together as well when you were making uh, all the paintings were you thinking of how they're going to be hung because you're saying you the way you put them on the walls like to take the viewer through the body of work was that was that like something you had to think about after everything was there um good question i mean not really uh i think most of the paintings were already done when i arranged to do the show there mm -hmm. so um yeah, that you know that wasn't part of the planning process, but once I got them all in there, uh, it was kind of just a put things on the ground with where you think they mm -hmm. might go, and then see how they all interact. I was uh, <laughs> today I was driving, but I think I recently had this thought about how you know how certain bands have concept albums, but they're you know it's it's like often storytelling where you you really do have to listen from beginning to end to really get the whole idea. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. I've never seen an art show where it was a, not even sequential, but built up as a story so that when you go through an art show, you have to go only in one direction to really get the whole narrative. I maybe it'll, it'll yeah. be diving a lot more towards illustration, I guess, if we're talking narrative, but that's something I've never seen, which I think would be pretty cool to see. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, the show that I want to do next will be focused on uh, a not-so-distant future and the Anthropocene and kind of dealing with climate change mm-hmm. issues like that, you know, social inequalities um, and how that's going to pan out in the next, you know, say 30 years. So that something like that, you know, a sequential experience of um, narratives, you know, mm-hmm. being embodied in paintings or in sculptures, uh, that could be interesting for sure. Yeah, and... There, there's so many ways to go but i like that that could be part of an idea too right because uh, very often i think you see an art show and it's just here's uh, a body work and it's not not that it's bad but i think uh, i think it would be cool especially for example what if you wanted to portray decay but decay as you went farther into the room of your pieces right and then the the, the color palette changed and yeah totally and <laughs> i mean i thought about how it could be interesting to have the paintings be decaying or be burnt Actually breaking down yeah, 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 yeah like i've wanted to set some paintings on fire and see you really should you should what <laughs> how they you know just like for a couple seconds allow it to burn the you know the panel or whatever just a tiny bit and then you know use that so you could have you know a sequence of paintings where one's intact and then slowly mm-hmm. as you walk through the different pieces and, and experience the different narratives that they're displaying you slowly get to see it you know, be bo- be more and more burnt to a point where the last painting you can't even tell what's That's on cool. it. That's cool. Yeah, have you, you've seen you've probably seen those sculptures which were I think they're you know the, the person would make uh, human like human forms and then burn them, so they'd be just like burned charred okay. sculptures, but they still remain remain their human form. Have you seen it? No, no, you got to check it. Out. I think it'll be kind of reminds me of like Pompeii or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I think it'll be probably good research for you too okay. because it looked it looked very fascinating and then trying trying to use that as part of it yeah because if you're painting on a really thick like a uh, slab of wood yeah <sighs> there's so many things to do i know i mean <laughs> wood panel is something i didn't really use that often and now it's all i really want to Dude, use for mark making especially if you want to be pretty rough with yeah. what you're doing it's perfect yeah yeah but i was always worried because i use a lot of palette knife and i thought maybe you know i just stabbed that thing yeah <laughs> and and if you get a couple layers of of you know primer or even just you know do a couple of initial layers you're you're not on wood like you have yeah, enough yeah, yeah. In, like depth to you know use a, a palette knife you and can there, yeah you can fine. get a little bit of uh, yeah just like a slightly softer feel too if like yeah thick gesso or something like that mm-hmm. I got over the fact that you know because canvas always liked the bounce mm. when I was doing Same. mark making yeah, yeah, and yeah. painting and application with the bounce just felt right one thing i didn't like stop lighting totally about cameras. That. oh sorry I, no, I, that's I'm, it. I'm, I'm, i get too excited i interrupted you that's okay terrible host but <laughs> one thing i loved like i uh, didn't like about canvas over time is the texture i actually it felt like pixelation it felt like kind totally. of dirty pixelation that i really especially if you're painting small yeah i it was so intrusive i maybe like, and this is like clearly a personal opinion because many people love canvas but i felt like i couldn't get around it for a while it just you know it, yeah, I mean, especially when I was painting landscape, I, I would notice that because you'd be painting, you know, a certain part of it and it would have to be small. Yeah, Even yeah. if it was the painting was large, you know, you're painting the, the, the furthest part of the horizon and, you know, 
the mountain or the part of the sky is small mm-hmm. that you're trying to you know apply a thin layer of paint and unless you really really do a lot of pl- priming layers and can yeah, get yeah, some yeah. sort of like flatness you're gonna see that that uh roughness of the canvas through and yeah i gotta i gotta visit difficult. some people's studios and see what they do with their canvas i guess I, i'm sure i'm sure there's ways but yeah just especially yeah it's something about going small it, it just it, for me it felt like it would take me out of the painting because uh, then you notice it i don't know yeah i i, I, I gotta I get agree. educated <laughs> well I'm, g- I'm glad we agree uh Another thing about art show, which I want to see, and I think because you mentioned that the last one uh, you did, you, you wanted to create that experience. Yeah. One thing that I've only, you know, I've only seen in photos, I haven't been to, been to those art shows, but when artists would actually paint the whole space, like the walls, you know, especially, I, I mean, I've seen that from people who are like muralist painters who have dabbled in both where, right. you know, you, you, you paint the walls, the whole experience becomes so much more, like uh, the space comes together with the paintings. That's something that I think... Uh, it would be pretty fun to ex- experiment even more. Definitely. I think, uh, yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, the Ellis is where I held it last time. And yep. the walls there are um, basically just wood beams and then concrete block behind that that's mm-hmm. painted white. So you're hanging on those beams. But if you were to, you know, buy a bunch of plywood and paint it, you know, different block colors or mm-hmm. have accents there in between the paintings, you could yeah, create a space similar to what you're saying because i like your your idea which is something we spoke uh, at the studio was um creating yeah, creating experience beyond just the paintings but it, it was interesting how much you worried about how p- people felt when they were they were at the space and yeah. you know even when they enter and that's because you can create an atmosphere yeah. beyond the painting mm-hmm. and that's i think important and maybe even more important because it's going to be a lot more memorable right then it's uh, people aren't just there to yeah. look but also feel right yeah i think for this last show i focused you know uh, a great deal on the production value of you know having it catered and ha- what kind of food was going to be catered and then having music and what who was going to play and um those happen to be you know people that i could i was close friends with that mm-hmm. i could you know uh share my vision with and they would have ideas that bounce off me and it was quite collaborative in that sense which was nice um but it was mo- it was mainly to just to create an atmosphere of you know making the audience feel good at mm-hmm. the art show, um, which is you know pretty typical. But I think you could take that farther and and use um, you know similar tactics to distort or manipulate mm-hmm. your audience in a different way, say to you know convey a deeper or darker message potentially. Yep. So maybe in the next shows, yeah, I mean I think atmosphere is going to be part of it. Um, I'd like to do you know projecting oh yeah uh, images on the and on one like an accent wall or some sort of auditory experience um that's augmenting whatever paintings and and you know traditional artworks being displayed dude i can't i can't wait for your next show <laughs> oh because if that, that was your first solo and you already thought about so many components you know where even yeah I'm, i just can't wait to see where it goes because you too. know it's like you, you it's like you did your first test right i feel like a first solo show was really like a test of self and what can you can for do. sure and so okay it worked it sounded yeah. like it was worked pretty well it, so it worked in yeah. the you know conventional senses um <laughs> you know people showed up they had a good time yeah, yeah, things yeah. were sold whatever yeah. like that but then it, you know there was a ton of things that i want to explore beyond that and so uh and it would, again, like you're saying, it's a test of self. You know, could you, could I pull it off? You know, mm-hmm. it was yeah. a huge, I mean, you know, if I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, pulling off a solo show is an important first step. Is that the plan? 
fine art rest of your life <laughs> <laughs> who knows i guess i guess that's uh the ideal but For um, now. Yeah. it's difficult to even see past uh the next 10 years how come um there's just an immediacy to most of my problems that i've that i'm you know trying to deal with on a day-to-day it's life getting in a way yeah or just you know even painting it's like you, you, how how can you imagine what you'll be painting in 10 years when Good you point. can when you're just trying to focus on getting better at the thing or changing the thing that you're already doing. Yeah. Um, I find that, yeah, artwork is a very, it brings me into the present more than it, you know, makes me think about what I'm going to be doing in mm. five years. Yeah. Good point. You said uh, the show work in conventional ways. Uh, what would you want to do better? Or how would you want to build up on top of it? Um, well, I don't know. I guess touching on the things that we've, just spoken so about, spoke about yep, yeah. Yeah, yeah but i think on top of that um yeah i, I don't know i mean <laughs> there was an element of like the marketing that could have been done better um that's always can be better though I yeah think these days especially because there's so many avenues and tools yeah i was i was more focused on just making the event uh you know being comfortable with how that was gonna you know roll out but would you hire someone to do that? Yeah, potentially. Because some one thing I've been thinking about is that because of how important that aspect is, it's almost it almost has to be like a part time job for someone. Yeah. Who's not you? Yeah, <laughs> and it it's difficult because you want to almost do everything, but <laughs> because I wasn't working with a gallery, I was pretty much doing everything myself. Yeah. And, and that that definitely taught me the value of having help, and you know the reason galleries exist is is for an artist to you know just focus on the work and you know they can handle install and, and yep. uh, marketing sales all that kind of thing. i mean I, I outsourced a lot of that stuff um to people in my community and, and a lot of people you know contributed a lot of things which i'm very grateful for yeah um but you know i'm lucky to have that here say if i were to try and do a show in another city which i i would like to do potentially in toronto next june nice i wouldn't have the same resources in the same community um Maybe I could find people, and yeah. uh, that would be part of uh, the planning process. But it's a small world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, Toronto's full of people that. I mean, you could find people there uh, <laughs> that would probably know half of the people you already know from here. And it's true, that sort of thing. Uh, man, I just blanked out. I had a question about. Uh, oh yeah, you mentioned galleries, and that's one thing I haven't. I haven't had a uh, kind of a one like a personal experience with a gallery really putting the work into marketing. Uh, it would be interesting to see and experience it, right? Because like you said, a, a proper, a really good gallery would have not only their list of clients, but places they can go to spread the word or find potential customers. I uh, um, yep. haven't seen many examples of it, but I, I mean, not just probably because I wasn't there and wasn't paying attention to, but have you worked with any galleries like that yet? No. Uh, that's That's the next one, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so far I've just, been doing pop-ups you know group shows or otherwise and so um a lot of it's just been grassroots you know get a bunch of friends who are artists out of necessity or because uh uh yeah i mean just that was the only real option available mm -hmm. you know as when i was younger it was friends group of friends here we did group shows and then you know this past december we did a group show in jersey city yep. with a bunch of artists from there and uh, studio mates sent artwork out um so that was another just 
let's you know let's have this idea and then realize it sort of thing as opposed to being you know either you know proposing work to a gallery or being uh having them come to you yeah i guess the goal is just get good enough where people try to find you right yeah i guess but i also kind of enjoy like when i was in jersey city that planning process and that uh community oriented experience allowed me to meet people and kind of be a part of that community for the couple of weeks that we were planning and then have the party and have the show and uh develop relationships with those artists so that if I, you know they're over here or i'm back out there it's uh yeah it's gonna last but you can't always do that uh, with the same ease that a gallery can you know find a space or you know have a brick and mortar spot to you for you to display your artwork totally yeah because that i mean <laughs> you gotta start with that and go from there yeah was that a successful show too the one in jersey yeah definitely yeah. i think it was um and a success from you know people came uh like throughout the night the whole it was in a vintage store so this nice. this friend of mine um who lives out there got married and i met a bunch of his friends mm. Uh, through that experience and th- one of them owns this vintage store um, called Zero Kids and that's where we held it and so um, it was packed you nice. know like it is a big store um, and you know people sold work and artists came out and met each other and I think that's kind of a lot of what the goal of these shows have been the group shows is just to try to create community and and yeah a valuable experience for everybody involved yeah I wonder if you could do the same thing when you do plan your show in Toronto, right? Cause, but you already knew those people in Jersey, right? Some of them at least. Yes. Yeah. Um, not for very long, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, you know, we came up with the idea actually camping in Squamish <laughs> for this yeah. guy's bachelor party. And so that was an interesting uh, moment to be presented with the opportunity, knowing that we were all going to be in Jersey City and then in Brooklyn for the wedding. That's cool. And we could, you know, have that and then also have the show mm-hmm. um which was fun it's a lot of fun do you have a uh, advice for anyone who's planning a solo show um time <laughs> oh, <laughs> give yeah. yourself lots of time i i mean i was pretty good about planning install and i was still you know scurrying around <laughs> running up and down ladders at six when my show started at five and so luckily people were fashionably late and (laughs) it didn't fill up until later but yeah i was uh i still didn't have enough time because there's always you know 10 things that you didn't think of that are going to happen or you're gonna have to like problem solve on the fly and how much time did you have for installation like i gave myself two full days okay and i thought that'd be plenty um yeah and i mean dealing with installation was quite a feat Luckily, mm-hmm. I had Michael Bach, who's a Thanks, technical wizard. So uh, <laughs> his expertise were very, very uh, needed. And yeah, getting that up the first day really was a huge feat. And then the paintings kind of went up slowly that night and the next day. But then labels and yeah, just a lot of things. Yeah. Dealing, helping my son, my friend, uh, who's catering set up and the DJ and getting all the equipment. And yeah, it was just. Lots and lots of things. <laughs> we're, we're I mean, I, I I bit off a lot, you know. I yeah. mean, I, you could easily have just thrown like a bare bones show and just had artwork and. But that's the thing, though. Plugged right? in it's, your iPod. It's, it's 
It's <laughs> not iPod. enough. Yeah. No one has an iPod. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Do you own one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still keep one in your pocket? All right, I yeah. see people with iPods because they have their favorite mix there. and never <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know even, yeah, as a Freudian slip, maybe I want secretly an iPod. <laughs> Who knows? Just got to go on eBay, find one for five bucks because it's probably what <laughs> yeah. it's going to be. I have an extra box in my pocket, you know, just taking up space. Why? You need it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just for music, you know, as long as the battery lasts. Yeah. <laughs> I miss iPods. That was, yeah, it was interesting. The little clicky circle thing was cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had an iPod Classic I for had years. The Nano. the Nano, yeah. Yeah. I think I had a Nano at one point, too. Th- does it make us old? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's like, this was just half a year ago. I know, it's... it's <laughs> It just changes that fast. Super um, quick. After the art show, I remember we talked about it. Did you have the what now feeling? or kind of? Oh, like, yeah, for right. sure. The little down. There's a bit of a, yeah. It, I that? think it happens every time I do a piece in a small way, you know, mm-hmm. or I cr- you know, do a series. And then there's kind of a fallout or a sense of void. Yeah. Um, but the show is for sure um, a, a sense of relief and accomplishment and then a lot of just what now <laughs> <laughs> especially when it's that much work right? yeah yeah um but yeah it was an important hurdle and getting over that hurdle of um the mental block that it, that came after was important too i wonder if there's a way to avoid it or you kind of have to have i think it. it's part of the process yeah? i think mm-hmm. um creatively you kind of just need to reinvent yourself every time you do I think every time you do a painting, yeah. uh, at least for me, it's it's pretty, mo- from one painting to the next, it's pretty, it's, there's a lot of difference and a lot of change, um, but that's just me, and um, I think it's important to try and do a tiny refresh yeah. in between every piece, just so you can come at it with this, uh, you know, a little bit different approach or perspective. Um, and with the show, it was just a larger version of that feeling. Do you worry about having consistency of every time you come out new and start something new? Uh, no. I mean, I think it's consistency is important, but it's just what you're trying to be consistent with. So yeah, true. there's things that I'm trying to develop and get better at. And as long as I'm improving and consistently improving in those things, then that's all I'm really worried about. If I were to just stagnate on something that i'm trying to get better at that mm-hmm. would that would be worrisome but uh, you know the painting that stood out small wins oh yeah <laughs> i guess it'd be different yeah the painting that stood out to me from uh your archer for that one those uh with the surveillance cameras mm-hmm. which i feel like from a distance it just turned out to be like a cool pattern i yeah. think it's the way you placed them because they're facing different ways that was pretty cool but um I know that that's actually from the show, you know, that you, like you said, that uh, they're abstract and representational. That was definitely where more representational, but like I said, interesting way of playing was pattern. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's, uh, you can talk about that one specifically. And I'm pretty sure people can find it on your Instagram, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's on my website too, okay. I believe. Um, okay. Yeah, that one, I, I know, again, the rare op- you know time I did from sketch yeah. was, uh, you know, I just drew out boxes as the cameras all facing in to one you know focal point with one you know in the middle row mm-hmm. facing out yeah. i don't know where that even that the inspiration came for that but i wanted the painting to look i mean i wanted to play with gaze right the yeah, way yeah. the way the painting can stare back at you and you know as i started developing the, the piece um 
initially it included you know you could see where the camera lens was through the camera uh glass mm. and i thought that you know that was an interesting thing because you could see where it was kind of looking but then i eventually eliminated those because the anonymity that it gives the camera and where it's actually looking um makes it a little bit more daunting and and uh the viewer doesn't mm. exactly know where the, i mean they're facing all kind of at the viewer if yeah. you're standing directly in front of the painting but you don't know where it's looking and so it's a little bit more ominous and you know provocative i guess or yeah. something like that but yeah, it was, it was interesting to play with you know initially i wanted to create you know the shadows of the cameras on the wall behind but then you mm. know, didn't want to do that either because just the simplicity of the pattern like you're saying because from effective. a distance yeah because the the blacks are so rich or i guess they're so low in value like you're actually just getting a pattern where like when you're looking from a distance it is a like you got this and then right up close you, i think you, you can see the right because i mean we're looking at it on a computer but like in, in small scale the painting is actually quite large but i'm looking at it like this it's yep. actually like you blur your eyes and it's just a pattern playing like uh with shapes on a canvas yeah that turned turn out really cool yeah it could be like uh on a shirt or something yeah or like a like uh what's that stuff called on the walls uh wallpaper oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. what if you actually oh man i wonder if there's a way to like buy a bunch of these cameras and then do an installation like that yeah i wanted to find some and at least um well there's a couple ideas drew had the idea to make a huge camera yeah <laughs> and he <laughs> suggested it be throwing up a bunch of stuff or i don't know like cre <laughs> create this like personality with this huge camera and have that be the installation yeah. Um, which I thought that was pretty cool, but yeah, I think trying to find some of those and and create more of a um, structural painting yeah. or a, a sculptural painting rather would be fun. And I think that's kind of with the the table piece. Now that I've taken off the legs and it's just kind of sitting in our studio, <laughs> yeah. it kind of looks like a painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, from far does. away, and then you realize it's actually a three dimensional thing. Um, you know, playing with gravity. Um, so I think maybe doing more stuff like that where uh, the dimensionality of the of the piece is, uh, you know, a component. Um, and also working with different substrates. Like I'd, an idea I've had for a long time that I haven't executed quite yet, but probably will for this next show is um, wanting to flatten spray paint cans. Mm, yeah. So release all the air or whatever out of them and then flatten them and then connect them into a canvas and have that, like the roughness and the distortion yeah, of each yeah. can add to the topography of the substrate and then have that be what you do a painting on that would be pretty cool yeah it's a lot of cans it's yeah, a lot of cans yeah just <laughs> but it'd be i mean we have so many recyclable cans that are yeah. just gonna go to a paint recycling just place jump in a car and drive over them yeah <laughs> i mean so the, this the idea I'd came from uh i was working on a mural with this artist buff monster in in new jersey and he and i were painting a wall and then the cans that we were using were being thrown into a box. Okay. And we were playing target practice from the, <laughs> from the top of the lift. But the, sometimes they missed, and then we'd drive over them, yeah. and they would flatten. And he would collect them to paint on, on later. And I thought that was a really interesting idea. Mm -hmm. And then later on, I, I thought, oh, what, be, what if you, you know, got a really intense staple gun or, or, or just use nails? Yeah, yeah, and just nail into and nail them Or together. All th yeah, together. Okay. Um, and then create some sort of uh, surface with that. You're giving away all your ideas, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, <laughs> whatever. <Sounds> good. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited to see that one. Or 
what if you took all the cameras and you're able to rig them? Oh, no, not rig them. That's the wrong word. Imagine they could all point at one person as you walk by. That's too much work, though. But uh, pretty sweet. If you had the wall of cameras and they're all pointing at you as you're walking by. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That would be intense. It'd be cool to create, like, a wave effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where some of them overlap. are straight, and then slowly as you walk past, maybe, like, a wall of 20 foot full of cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, They slowly turn. It would be such cool sound, too. Imagine just all 20. But you want them to move. I'm there following you. I'm oh. Sorry. Dude, like, you just use, uh, if you use, like, an Xbox, uh, you know how they have the, the tracking camera? Right. I've seen people do... Uh, fun stuff with that because the yeah, that'd be some the tech is already involved. there 100% we need, we need an engineer but how cool would that be imagine that they're, cool. they're animating and following you right yeah I mean there's <laughs> there was uh, a lot of questions with that piece and the other camera piece of, you know am I trying to comment on surveillance and in theory yes but mainly it was about just, just trying to play with uh, the viewer and it being viewed mm -hmm. yeah. and how to you know kind of interact with the uh the audience in a more um uh confronting way i guess one thing i've seen recently uh, someone doing uh paintings on kind of reflective um almost mirror like surface but it was i think it was like a cardboard backing but it was mirrored enough that they left some negative space and you can see yourself in it okay i wonder yeah I feel like that's another thing that could be so fun to explore and try to figure out how to use that as part of an element. Anyways, I'm just spinning out ideas. Here. I'm, I'm thinking what <laughs> I, I like should that. do. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Because uh, if you're looking for something to be like a viewer and viewed, right? Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's... Um, who's that artist? Where he just recreates Renaissance paintings and then puts that shiny orb in front of it. Really? No, uh, I, Jeff, yeah. I think it's Jeff Koons. Okay, Yeah. see the one? And it's just so that it, you're you're standing and it, you're being reflected mm. in this ball that's right in front of the painting, and that's kind of I guess the idea. <laughs> I, I like your love. I guess that's it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's probably a nice ride up for it. You're just oversimplifying it. Yeah, <laughs> like you should. <laughs> um, so you make a painting and you put it or yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what it was, and there's a bunch of them, and he has a whole team of people that paint these. I was gonna say he definitely didn't make those paintings. No, but that's okay. We're just haters. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he, he comments on that. He's being interviewed and they ask him, I mean, like, you're not actually painting any of these. But he's like, I create the apparatus. And so in theory, I am uh, making all the decisions. He's the god behind those paintings. Essentially. It's like me. I would be the god behind that idea of giant wall with cameras pointing at people. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah, he's curating every brushstroke in his mind. Very nice. Which is... Yeah, one way to look. And, he, and it's about productivity for him. He I said. hope he uses a whip when people do something <laughs> wrong. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, because he otherwise he'd, how many he probably could only paint two of those himself a mm -hmm. year. But he makes you know fifty or something. I was gonna say you gotta you gotta make that money. I was actually I, I had a question <laughs> written down. <laughs> I had a question written down, but uh, I mean here I'm asking it because I wasn't sure if it's a, a good one. But do you think do you think art should cost like, do you think it should, art should cost, like, painting should cost over, I don't know, like, 100 grand each? I know we are living in a capitalist society and all that, so, like, it, it sh this shouldn't be a question, but... Or how would you feel if your paintings cost that much? Yeah, I don't know. I mean... <laughs> Pretty happy. <laughs> uh, there's a documentary called The Price of Everything that I watched recently that's okay. about... Um, this topic, you mm -hmm. know, the, the insanity of the art market and how it kind of has no rules and 
will do the opposite of what the the rest of the world, you know, financial markets doing. Mm-hmm. You know? Like in financial crises, there'll be just a huge liquidation of art uh, assets, mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't even it's not even with currency; they just swap. Wow. And there's a huge problem with you know governments and banking institutions um, being upset that they're not being taxed <laughs> because you know it's something that's worth millions of dollars is yeah, just yeah. changing hands. Yeah. And no one's getting a piece, mm. but it's just this idea of, of uh, I'll trade you this asset for that asset. It's not actually about the art necessarily no. for some oh, of these people trading. It. It's just, it's just a, a value trade. Isn't it strange though? Because at that point, yeah, when art is that expensive, it is an asset, re- asset first, art second kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they talk about this. They're interviewing someone from Christie's, and she's saying. Yeah, there was kind of a, a lull in the mid-90s where they were running out of masters, you know, <laughs> old masters to sell. <laughs> and so they created wow. a new a new genre of, of contemporary art, and, and that became what is now the major art market, is these new artists like, you know, Cause or Jeff Koons or... Is that a conspiracy or it actually happened? No, like, I mean, the, they were like, we need a, f- you know, Basquiat. We need money to spend? <laughs> well, we need to start, s- I mean, there's a whole financial these are financial institutions that and you know apparatuses that needed to sell things and they're running out of things to sell because there's only so many paintings out there by van gogh or whoever you gotta help someone out launder money right (laughs) (laughs) so what are you gonna do i don't know i mean so they they created a market for all these new artists and and now um yeah i mean people that are blowing up right now and their paintings have become more and more and more and more expensive uh can reach a cliff and if they um if people if they oversaturate the market with their paintings and mm-hmm. they de- they become devaluated or whatever um they can run the risk of becoming irrelevant and then <laughs> all of a sudden there's no market <laughs> and you gotta stay important or relevant somehow yeah i'm sure there's all like science behind this yeah because uh, what you're saying makes sense because let's say you're a gallery and your your like average painting price is let's say like you know yeah a quarter of a million let's say that you know they're probably somewhere and then yeah if there's if you're running out of paintings you got you got to make the next expensive artist to keep making that same kind of money so you have to convince everyone that this next artist actually you know this painting should cost right quarter of a million versus like you know this took 20 hours so maybe not totally i mean this is this is what the art market's made of <laughs> it's this kind of Anyways, smoke and mirrors and so back to the question if you got to the point where your paintings were right that much would you feel pretty comfortable I don't know. I mean, it's hard to to conceive of that, <laughs> and I don't think it'll ever happen. But if it were, I mean, um, yeah, it depends what you do with the money, I guess. And I mean, lots of those artists, like I know Gerhard Richter, you know, mm-hmm. when he's always asked about how you know his paintings sell for millions of dollars, and he thinks money is dirty, but it's still profiting, you know. So yeah, he's kind of. <laughs> biased but uh, you know he's in a comfortable position to have that perspective i'm sure people wouldn't complain if that's how, how much your art gets sold for yeah. just <laughs> yeah it's but it's important to keep uh to maintain an understanding of that you know money is just this value you yeah. know that's not a it's not a the most important factor in, in what you're trying to say or do it's not i i don't know why i had this up but it, it almost feels like i wonder if it would feel like a scam you know 
because because for example you know you've done murals i've done murals like you when you quote you're just you kind of you know this is what hourly rate is and you know right. there's supplies and i calculated it yeah and then but then <laughs> more tangible logistics yeah but then if you want to just make more just you know multiply it by 10 and say and that's what it costs because it's me and i spent 20 years making art so i, I guess you can you could yeah, calculate that into it but <laughs> i mean that's yeah i think if you want to look at it that way it's how galleries operate they sign artists that they think they can sell their work mm -hmm. and then they evaluate you know per inch what their paintings are going to cost right and then that becomes their standard <laughs> yeah, yeah and um you know that creates a sense of legitimacy within an art market and then people just grow from there and mm. their paintings become more and more expensive as they're in higher demand and their their notoriety grows and it's this so that's why artists make big paintings. Now <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I mean, if your paintings are small, but the per inch value is, is really high, then you're winning because yeah. <laughs> it's true. you can make a bunch of paintings. And then you're going to make a big one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, whole, the, the whole money art side is always weird and interesting. Yeah. Do you, because uh, you do various jobs outside of art, are they sometimes like more enjoyable because there's less pressure? I definitely enjoy using the other side of my brain. Yeah. Um, I find if I'm working in the studio every single day, only painting, it's very exhausting. And you're that creative muscle. Um, this is kind of what I did the show for, and like the the concept for the, for the show was trying to think about how I even operate in a creative sense, and how other mm -hmm. people operate, and what are the strains and and outcomes and consequences of trying to be creative, and how if you aren't successfully being creative you know you can experience insomnia or things like <laughs> that you know yeah. um so yeah there's there's tons of artists that have commented on this as well you know trying to do something you know still hands-on because at the end of the day i'd like to work with my hands mm -hmm. pretty much all the time but you're using your your right side of the brain and then you know the rest of the day the left side of your brain or vice versa, but balancing. Yeah. Um, so maybe you're painting and then you're going and building something and doing a little bit more math or, or thinking about things in a more structural sense as so opposed you, to yeah. how do I paint this eyeball? And know? then just think about it for days and days yeah. and go crazy. <laughs> so you find you need that balance or it just happens to be so? Yeah, I think that it's a definitely a need. Mm -hmm. um, it's just in a lot of the work that I do outside of you know, creativity, it's labor intensive and that can be nice, but also can, you know, stress your body and that sort of thing. So it's a balance between what's going to give you that, that uh, balance of left and right brain mm -hmm. and not exhaust you to the point where you don't even want to paint because that can that happen happens, to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually quite often. We're yeah. all human. We're not, you know, made of it's true. machinery. Except for a couple artists. I'm not going to name them. Yeah. <laughs> There's some. I've seen them. <laughs> uh, because you've been... I, I was scrolling through Instagram. Because you've done quite a lot of collaborations and also you've been helping a lot of people out in the city. Yeah. I mean, here and outside the city as well with murals. Have there been like periods of time where you made... You ended up making more work for others than yourself? For sure. I mean, last summer. So the summer before this one. Mm -hmm. Um... I pretty much didn't paint my own work. Yeah, yeah. it was just just others. murals. Yeah, of other people. I mean, I don't. I don't really consider myself even a muralist. I just have I just assisted fell on into it. <laughs> on like, I guess, 
probably upwards of 30 murals now. Jesus. So nice. that's a, it's a great way to, you know, be in an art community and help other people uh, accomplish their, you know, aspirations in the mural world and you get paid to do it. So it's, it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, like if you're painting a mural all day, it's pretty difficult to go into the studio and then try and keep pushing on some of your own work. Like that's what I did for my show. Um, I was working with Tierney and, and that was a pretty labor intensive wall. And then going into the studio at night for another six hours and trying to finish up paintings. So that was intense, mm-hmm. but it, it was a good learning experience and it all worked out, but you kind of have to, but during those months, how did you, uh, like, did you feel okay? Did it you couldn't, yeah, it wasn't sustainable for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, but the months where you didn't, weren't making much personal work, like, mm-hmm. was that, did you, were you okay with it or? Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, I think generally I was kind of in a creative lull anyways. Mm. And so it was kind of nice that I had other people's work to jump into and just kind of like clear my head and, and figure out what I wanted to do next. And, and then after that, is when I was kind of frustrated with abstract in the moment and, and started doing still lives. And so that was the, the transition that happened. And, and from that, that whole body of work pretty much came from. That's pretty cool. That's cool how that it worked re, out. That rebirth. Yeah. But uh, I was asking because, you know, how you're feeling during those months is how kind of a lot of people I work with feel, <laughs> you know, working in the animation or whatever entertainment industries, right. you know, your life is making someone else's work basically. And until you go home and maybe you get to do something for yourself. But I, I okay, true. And go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, from my perspective, it's your, you know, it's people's norm, and you definitely see many people burn out. And right, I've had these conversations with some friends where um, they're considering doing a non-art job just to one, you know, do something that has a lot less pressure creatively, because mm-hmm. sometimes it can feel like a lot more overbearing, especially when you're used to it because you judge yourself too much versus like right. if you you know if you wanted to work in construction or you you want to be a barista you know the the job like there's no creative pressure that you, you can do the job well if you learn a technique yeah uh, but like that there's a right and a wrong yeah. right which is you have uh less agency in, in the fact that you're not creating something <laughs> and you can't you necessarily build but you can uh replicate the same experience say. exactly yeah yeah and yeah. being a you know I, I used to work as a chef and i found that i like i like cooking and i like the creativity that comes with cooking but repeating the same motions over and over again for 11 hours a day was that's too much was quite brutal mm. yeah and eventually just made me kind of <laughs> resent being there so <laughs> i transitioned into you know other work that's mainly just labor intensive because you know, you can exert yourself all day and feel accomplished and, you know, there's a, there's a benefit to that. Hmm. Um, where painting, especially in the abstract work that I do can feel quite circular in that you're, there's no real end. Uh, You know, it's just do more or start again. You know, a lot of the time it's just, well, that didn't work. Let's paint over and But see also because expectations are very different, right? You're looking for something that you, don't really know yet or yeah yeah especially in abstract i think there's this uh this unknown that you're trying to play with you know almost the entire time um and trying to kind of reach out into the darkness and find some sort of balance or aesthetic or um creative 
spark mm-hmm. um, that will then play out in your painting. But it's uh, it's elusive for sure, and that's again one of the things that I was trying to comment on in my show was that challenge and and how it can affect your psychology as a as a artist. Did you learn anything from pursuing that theme? Because uh, if you said it was very internal, right? Yeah, I think uh, there's a ton of reflection to, you know, try and create, or what, you know, even what I was trying to comment on. Um, So, yeah, looking at the ways that um, I don't problem solve, (laughs) I think was probably one of the big ones. Um, When I met with a challenge, a lot of the time there's a sense of panic and despair and um it's all over so i feel like (laughs) which i you know a lot of artists have expressed that you know they can fall into these experiences and it's how you regain your your footing and then continue on and most people do i mean Mm -hmm. some one way or another and it's just how um and i think yeah the planning just being more organized in what you're trying to create or at least having some low-hanging fruit that you, you know you can achieve yeah. a base level of a palette and a simple composition and then you can go on and try and do something spontaneous but um that was probably the biggest lesson mm-hmm. and talking with people like scott um that's one of his main pieces of advice that i've that i've tried to engage with mm-hmm. um because we're both abstract painters but he has a very good ability to create a plan and then um, build on top of that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, which helps him, you know, become more efficient with his time and, and, you know, not have, like have a a larger success rate with, with his work, which is clearly apparent. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Sumi. Yeah. So I think a lot of the time, you know, you're, fumbling in the dark or I was fumbling in the dark with abstract work and that's part of it you mean you got to you have to kind mm-hmm. of wrestle with it but if you give yourself you know advantages by planning a tiny bit um <laughs> it can go a long way I oh guess man, it's actually very useful yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you think uh you're gonna because you're mentioning ideas for your next shows do you, do you think a lot of your work will follow a darker theme that typically what do you look for yeah, I think generally I'm a pretty cynical person. Yeah. But mm, you say that smiling and laughing. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's part <laughs> of being... <laughs> there's got to be humor. I mean, I think... Yeah, there's a part of me that has stayed quite apolitical with mm-hmm. my artwork up until now. And I can feel myself becoming more radical as a person and, and wanting to influence my work from that. And so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was inevitable. Um, I studied politics great deal in school and oh yeah nice and history and so these themes and concepts and and the way humanity and and civilization has struggled with um each other and yeah you know existential nature (laughs) of our society uh then yeah these kind of things um i think are important and play a large role in, in what I'm trying to say as an artist so uh, up until now al- again like a lot of the stuff I do for sale or commission by request is is not political yeah of course. <laughs> but I think more and more as I get more control and agency over what I'm trying to paint and and 
the shows that I'm trying to put on and, and the experiences I'm trying to re relay to people. Do you worry that that work would not be as sellable? For sure. Sellable? Yeah. Because yeah. it is going to be controversial, maybe? Yeah. And I thought that, I mean, like, the the surveillance pieces. I mean, I had a you know, that skateboard and another skateboard with a, a hook and a hand, a human hand going for the hook. Yeah. And then both those people, you know, pieces sold to people. And that was a surprise mm -hmm. because, you know, I did them as sort of statement pieces that, you know, weren't necessarily the most marketable thing. You know, <laughs> I didn't realize people would want to hang those in, in their homes, but they did. And yeah. so it kind of was a nice surprise to see work like that. Um, be engaged with and then you know purchased but i think i don't think that's the goal for my art um i mean obviously i want to create aesthetic and 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 beauty is always a part of making art mm -hmm. but i think message is now more of a focus than ever makes sense well i think and i wonder how uh, how much better your work is gonna uh, well continue to become because you're gonna, like it's gonna be more of you and, and kind of like you're saying it seems like recently you have really um dove into the or maybe i've been doing it for a while but to me it seems like part of you diving into the political world and the amount you research and care and study so yeah i think if you pursue that and like connect that with your art it's only going to be so much stronger because it seems you're you're very passionate about it yeah it'd be yeah. It'd definitely be a, a little bit more authentic and maybe from that authenticity i can drive more creative uh ingenuity or or you know energy and you're going to be so frustrated <laughs> <laughs> you're going to channel all your cynicism and anger into it and just yeah i think that's definitely part of it i mean <laughs> um you have to be motivated and, yeah. and different people have different motivations and um i've had problems with motivating myself to paint in the past and uh i think this this new uh, you know trying to relay um sometimes subtly you know just yeah. an, a narrative and it doesn't even have to be political necessarily but commentary i think mm -hmm. in the work is important or at least in my work well and that when because people have different ideas of what art is and why make it but you know one of them is uh, like when people people talk about why art is important often it is to kind of reflect back on society or to show society in itself for or, sure you know wh what goes around which sounds like a really challenging task because what does it even mean and how educated do you have to be on what it is you're talking about right because one thing is to just reflect and have a reaction yeah well, maybe that's enough as well but uh, w once you step into that world it feels like a lot of responsibility to do it in a um like in a not an educated but like a an aware way yeah i think um mainly it's storytelling and um that story can be as simple as, you know, darkness and, and dealing with darkness or um, growth or, you yeah. know, the loss of something, mm -hmm. um, they, you know, pretty like uh, accessible feelings for people. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a very specific political statement or True. Yeah. Um, you can just try and uh, engage. I think... Yeah, trying to engage with the audience's imagination has always been what I've tried to achieve. Even with the abstract work, it's just how do I make this viewer think about their dreams or think about mm. something they experience in their subconscious or, um, you know, allow them to let go 
and, uh, you know, lose themselves in their imagination for even a, a quick second would be, you know, um, an achievement in, in a painting. Um, so that was kind of how I started having an interest in abstract work and, and trying to paint it um, to, to provoke those kind of emotions and responses. Mm -hmm. And then now I think it's the same thing where instead of just purely abstract and emotional response, there's also some sort of um, storytelling and, and creating um, uh, a response to a narrative that's either political or, or not, you know, um, but trying to engage with people and, and express that is, is probably the next, the next goal for me. And you said that's next year? Yeah, I mean, there'll be some, some pieces maybe that come out in the next couple of months that I might throw into a small pop-up show or something yeah, like that. But next June, either here and in Toronto is, is, the, is the move. And if you say next June, when do you start working on that body of work then? <laughs> Good question. Well, if it's in <laughs> Toronto, I think the idea would be to, to move in June <laughs> oh, and okay. do all the work. That, I mean, maybe I'd roll up a couple of canvases, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I would I would set up a studio and, and try and, uh, like we were talking about in the studio a couple of days ago, you know, have a, an idea for almost every piece, sketches, palettes, yeah, yeah. that sort of thing, and then just go execute it real quick in two months <laughs> you should try to document that that'll be really cool too yeah especially if it is a new setting for you and you do this thing in one place yeah that'd be pretty cool i like what you're doing some good ideas and then you're traveling soon to germany right yeah i'll be heading to berlin for two weeks uh one of which is the berlin art week um so just purely an ex you know i've been to berlin it's a wonderful city um a lot of inspiration a lot of uh stimulus <laughs> so yeah just uh, going and seeing you know what the avant-garde in berlin is uh is this year it will be i think a, a pretty inspirational so taking notes and, and trying to think about you is know what influences i want to bring back and and into the next show is that a research trip then yeah i guess you could call it research <laughs> it's yeah. va vacational research there you go yeah, yeah. the best kind you're birds and one stone yeah i wonder when you come back how if that if that will or will not change your the direction that you think of now it might, it might be pretty cool it might completely change everything I'd, i mean uh the work that i've followed just on the internet of artists and galleries there that i, I plan to see or, or even looking at the program for the art week itself mm -hmm. um there's some pretty uh out there painting and i think that's gonna be very interesting and a lot of fun to go and see in person because i find it very difficult to find um a ton of inspiration from photos that are two inches <laughs> on <true>. your phone <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah seeing some of these pieces um up close and engaging with the community that has created them hopefully meeting some artists and, and speaking with gallery and, and venue um facilitators um well hopefully Maybe even bring an opportunity to to do work there in the future. Yeah, pretty sweet. Yeah. One thing I always wonder about that is, yeah, how, you know, how many conversations away are you from landing something like that, right? Cause right. It's it, it's usually how it works, you know. Speak someone, meet someone, and then then you have a show next year. Yeah. So I hope that works out. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's very easy to get stuck in a routine, I think, and not refresh your um 
your imagination, you know, your imagination's palette. You know, you're pulling from these experiences, <laughs> and if you don't change those experiences every once in a while and, and um, broaden your horizon, yeah. um, then your work can reflect that. And I think for me, um, yeah, it's it's time to to go experience uh, something like Berlin Art Week. <laughs> Sounds good. I've never heard anyone say imagination palette, but it totally yeah. makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to. <laughs> it was, it was a, it's a stretch, but you should coin it. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I, when you say it, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I paint from experience and from visual experience and auditory experience. Everything. Um, a lot of my work has been trying to harness, you know, dream states and things like that as well, um, because I think there's a ton of value in in thinking about your dreams and what they mean and. Because it's a, it's a whole other world of, you know, things yeah. that you're interacting with um, that can influence your work. And it's just like you're traveling, but every night you're just <laughs> closing your eyes and and uh, experiencing a bunch of crazy stuff. <laughs> Especially if you can successfully recreate that. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not about, like, I don't feet. necessarily try to, you know, sit down every morning and, and rewrite everything. But maybe I'll make a couple notes about things that happen in a dream and then maybe that just gives me an idea for a painting that's mm -hmm. not necessarily about the dream itself but these colors were were shown to me in the dream or you know this perspective of a landscape or i don't know do you think uh i mean i guess it's similar topic but i was gonna say i'm switching but do you think you'll uh, you're ever gonna make uh, any more of the like prints or shirts as you did i seem like probably a couple of years ago now yeah it was that do you, do you see yourself doing something like this along with the art show or was it something separate uh yeah i think merchandising and and creating things that are uh yeah in the, of that realm is something that's always interested me mm -hmm. t-shirts um making minimalist designs for t-shirts uh was kind of like my way of balancing the abstract work i was doing because mm -hmm. that's a yeah it's a whole experience to try and paint abstract but then to just try and draw a landscape with as least information as possible mm -hmm. it's just a completely different exercise so it's a nice way to balance um when you're stuck in one you can just go to the other and so i'll yeah definitely continue to make those designs and then putting them onto things that you can sell you know for cheaper than a painting and, and people can support you by by purchasing them and you can en you know, engage with a completely different market um is definitely something i want to continue to uh, explore yeah because you know i talked about like the diversifying your uh, income i guess yeah and that, i mean that's could be part of it which is a it feels like an honest way of taking your art into a different field but still be representative of you right so uh, yeah i hope uh, i'm looking forward to more of that from you as well i'm glad to hear that you're gonna do it too yeah <laughs> thanks gotta do it do it all right yeah i mean it's just a matter of time and, and resources and where you're gonna oh, spend man. them exactly <laughs> <laughs> But people, there was a great reception towards those t-shirts and yeah. people still ask me for them. And I mean, I, I put a lot of care and thought into, you know, the blank t-shirts itself, which was well-received and and then how it was designed and, um, you know, the ethic ethical values that were in, involved in it. So, um, yeah, that will, that will continue to be a big part of any sort of merchandise I do is what product are you using, you know, uh, what is its impact on sustainability and uh, things like that. Very cool. Yeah. One thing I haven't asked you is that, um, I guess we got this far in conversation, but uh, do you feel like you got 
I mean, I, I'm jump, jumping around. I should have asked this sooner. But do you feel like you uh, got a very good art education? Um, yeah. Where did you surprisingly? Where did you yeah. Uh, I'd never went to art school, but I. Th- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why it was good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I'm still pretty immature in my understanding of like basic painting. Like I never learned to paint. It, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know talking with you about certain things in the studio I've learned from that but just especially mural painting um, you know I've never been a classroom learner despite you know having an undergrad and having struggled through that it was not like a pleasant experience because I'm not you know my mind doesn't work that way I like to be hands-on I like to be working collaboratively I like working with my uh, friends or you know people that I can relate to on a less hierarchical level um so yeah i mean a lot of the stuff that i've learned and then translated into my work has been from you know conversations or experiences on murals with Mm -hmm. you know people like you or scott or tierney drew any of these people who have you know helped me along the way by um you know hiring me to work for them so um you know call it mentorship or or collaboration or any of that it's uh that's the main source of of information that's awesome it's like you created your own kind of school for yourself basically i guess i mean it just sort of kind of happened organically you mm-hmm. know you just end up talking like we're talking now on most mural projects with with mm-hmm. artist friends and and then um th- they end up being even if they're already designed and you know people have planned what they're going to paint you always end up making on the on the spot decisions and yeah. thinking about things differently and oh, is this shadow going to do this thing here and why and what are we trying to achieve? And and through that kind of experience over the last four years or five years of mural painting, I've picked up tricks, I guess. Oh, And then just, you know, engaging with as much art as I can on a daily basis, either looking at it on the internet or trying to go to as many shows. Um, That's, uh, I think, a big part of it. That's that's pretty good advice. I guess to just, like, yeah, try to see other artists work or really really try to experience it to learn yeah and i think being in a studio has really helped as well i mean only in the last two years have i really been able to you know be three years i guess be out of school and give an entire entirety of myself and you know slowly it's you know it was 50 50 other work and and artwork and now it's Mm -hmm. slowly because that balance is being tipping tipped in the favor of artwork being more and more part of my incomes and more and more um you know, a uh, percentage of my time. So being in a studio and, you know, being surrounded by people who are motivated and doing really interesting things and um, are a constant source of inspiration, that's also been a great, you know, a huge help. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, you know, not everybody has, um, has that, you know, it's, I feel lucky to be in a, in a position where, um, I'm quite in the, you know, the infancy of my career and, you know, people like yourself or, or Drew and Tierney, they're advanced to a point where there's more experience, there's more, um, knowledge base that, you know, can be imparted on whoever. So being, being surrounded by other artists and especially ones who are, who are thinking a little bit more advanced, um, just gives you a little bit of a motivation and a pressure to Mm -hmm. to keep growing 
Yeah, I feel the same way. And I think because many of us are pursuing like slightly different directions. Totally. You can learn a lot more from some things you haven't done or you may not even do, but there's a lot of, I guess, cross-pollination of knowledge Yeah. as everyone does their own thing because... Yeah, I mean, we have we have an amazing diversity in Jopa and Mark and mm-hmm. and you and Colin. Like all, everybody's yeah. doing different things. Um, I mean, most of the time I spend in the studio is with Mark, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, we were doing <laughs> graveyard shifts for most of the spring, fall and spring, or sp- winter and spring last year when I was creating a lot of the work for the show. And he's working on some really interesting stuff that, you know, is completely out of my wheelhouse, you know, 3D <laughs> animation yeah, and... Yeah and uh, modeling and that sort of thing and so we're in completely different realms but we can you know comment on each other's work and have discussions about things and then just rant about politics for <laughs> hours <laughs> <laughs> as we do <laughs> that's where the inspiration is coming from for the next show see i'm sensing it <laughs> yeah yeah um uh, cool. no but it's great i mean mm-hmm. that's, that's another thing that's valuable about a studio is that you can share ideas not just about art um but about what's happening around us because we're all being influenced by our worlds and the lens that we look at our worlds is is all different and mm-hmm. uh, sharing that's important to create a healthy creative space i think yeah totally um let's see i throw a couple questions at you uh what advice do you wish you got before you went to post-secondary <laughs> do not do post-secondary <laughs> uh no that's i mean i value uh, i mean the opportunity and the, the privilege to go and and have that post-secondary education um was it the best time to do it? I don't know. Um, maybe not. I think I jumped <laughs> in for the wrong reasons. Mm. Um, but I think generally speaking, just trying to be honest with yourself, I guess it's kind of, kind of sounds cliche, but if it's not honestly what you want to do, spending four years and a lot of money to do it, I don't know. Tough, <laughs> but it, I mean, it teaches you things. It teaches you what you don't want, and sometimes that's, that's better huge. than what yeah. you, that when you what you do want. Um, you know, doing academia that way and and trying to uh, function in a, in a setting like that taught me that that's not what I want to do with my time or with the rest of my life. So that was a good lesson. Um, but I also made a lot of really strong connections with people and the experience of living in Montreal and the, some of the professors I had were amazing. And you know. I'll continue to, you know, have dialogue with them about mm-hmm. stuff that I'm doing or seeing or, or learning about. Um, so that's all valuable and I think is worthwhile. But, uh, yeah, studying foreign policy for four years <laughs> was uh, was interesting. You're just more informed now. There you go. But yeah. I, I know what you're, so you're saying about those lessons. I definitely had those too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're useful. Here we are now. What would be your... Uh, what would be your piece of advice for someone who is about to go into post-secondary art or not Ooh. man i i was not prepared for a question <laughs> <laughs> just to ask them uh, yeah uh, or i mean you could be a piece of advice for for an artist even oh uh, man the, the 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 cliche thing is just do what you like right i think because when i when i was trying to like go into school it was tricky because you, you're trying to do what you think is the right thing right maybe versus what you like and and I, I guess then again it's kind of hard to know what you like sometimes it takes time to really find that and, and you study and pa- animation right? yeah. yeah and part of it is maybe knowing what you don't like so yeah. I don't know just I think figure yourself figure yourself out as soon as possible 
Uh, that probably t- uh, yeah takes a lifetime, but still, I think if you put yourself on the path of trying to understand yourself, I think that would help. Yeah. Probably no matter what you do, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's good to be, tr- like you're saying, putting yourself on that path as opposed to running away from it. And people, I mean, I did that too. You know, I ran away from things that were important to me, like painting, you know, mm-hmm. because I didn't think it was the right thing or that it was a possibility. You know, I didn't even know that yeah, I could same. make a career out of that until I started meeting people who were who were doing it and then it, you know it really had to be shown to me but you know it, i could have easily just missed that mm-hmm. and said oh this is not a real career path for sure and that's uh, that's one thing that's probably often missing is that seeing uh, role models and i've never under- understood that until you know it kind of happened to me too you just you see people pursue life uh, to make life choices that you didn't think were uh, there, like, wait, is that that's allowed? You know, y- you can make art or cartoons or games, and right. you can actually make Those a living. These are possibilities. It's yeah. like I was told that's not what adults do. You know, like that's not an adult thing to do. And so, yeah, I, I guess part of it is either seeing it right or just knowing that that can actually like create a happy life. Is just yeah, when you're young and either you're not taught about it or you're unaware, you just don't know. Or you're, yeah, or you're not even asking yourself. I mean, I didn't even ask myself if I wanted to paint professionally or, or even consider that until i was in second year university but then again the challenge is that do you even really know like are you supposed to know that young no i mean i don't know yeah and it's a good question and that's what you're saying about going to school for the wrong reasons i think it happens to a lot of people just because like how are you supposed to know <laughs> yeah maybe you just won't know and that's fine but i do think maybe that's actually better than than not studying because like learning how to study for example or just like do something you hate is a pretty valuable skill <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it it, it was uh, you had to dedicate a lot of time to you know pass those courses or do well in those courses mm-hmm. and spending time on something and you know even even the ability to write on the level that you know that i can write is which is not great but it's like i can write <laughs> you know essays and did write essays for most of my degree and and um got a lot of help editing from my brother nice uh uh, yeah i think that's a valuable skill and you know writing bios or writing uh artist statements and um feeling comfortable uh in doing so is was a a valuable thing that's come out of that (laughs) i definitely don't have that so i have to to pretend (laughs) One thing I find weird is that these days, like, you don't write by hand much. So just sometimes when you do have to write something, like, yeah, I try to do it at work more often just so I can still remember. <laughs> like writing notes by hand instead. Yeah, of yeah, and so like instead of typing. Like yeah, Because yeah. I sometimes I forget how often it's just everything just typed, so you don't end up writing. Totally. I mean, <laughs> I've been starting to take a lot more notes just on ideas and. Uh, that's all by hand. I actually find it really frustrating. Paper. I think, wow. Yeah, yeah. Cause, <laughs> well, one, I'm not trying to like, you know, have my laptop on the bus or something, totally writing yeah. notes. But um, I think, yeah, typing. I typed for almost my entire undergrad. Um, so when you're so writing essays, you're typing essays, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Unless, yeah. But I mean, you're, you're writing exams in, on paper. Okay. So you had to be good at both nice. and fast at both. And I got, yeah, I can see this with your wrist. Like I got <laughs> carpal tunnel basically from from doing that and good times yeah and then painting a lot too you know i had many studios set up in my apartments yeah. that i lived in and and so it was just a lot of uh staring at screens and reading books or or not so much reading <laughs> depending on <laughs> which course it was yeah. um but uh i don't know there's, there's also a value in 
and being able to skim information and try and figure out where to spend your time because you could spend your time even as an artist practicing the wrong things that aren't going to get you to where you want to go that's very true and you don't know those things until probably too late I don't know, like, trying to even understand that you're like pursuing the right thing is difficult yeah you know? yeah it's i mean these are all just kind of things that they make you question what you're doing mm. and that's just critical thinking i mean if anything going to school and doing that kind of academic studying at least gave me an ability to critically think and that's ask cool. questions of even myself and especially myself and why i'm doing certain things and for who and you know in a world that's we're constantly creating other versions of for of ourselves online or wh wherever um trying to create you know perform these certain um you know versions uh being critical of that i mean we all do it but being critical of it is i think the most important part and understanding that you know it's happening you are creating something that's not necessarily real mm -hmm. or as authentic as you are in real life um I wonder and all the knowledge that I'm missing out on. <laughs> it's too much. What what is it? What what am I supposed to know? What are all these things? <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing. It's yeah. you, no, I don't know. I don't know anything more than you. But I think <laughs> you probably do. Well, actually, you definitely do. But that's what I mean because like you you that you know. I don't think going so. Post secondary and the things you've learned. Yeah. No, I mean you don't know what you don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is a vast wealth of knowledge that you've attained in your many years of doing your life that i have no <laughs> idea about <laughs> but it would be interesting what is it that you need to be extra i don't know i don't, I don't know. know where i don't know where i'm taking this but because yeah just right, we're you getting need very existential about yeah, this yeah let's not let's <laughs> not do that uh what's your favorite place uh to be like yeah, just to, sure. to exist uh i don't know i mean like a studio yeah. or, a, or a place where I can be painting is probably one of them which is a good thing yeah, I was <laughs> if say it wasn't <laughs> I don't know what I'd be doing but yeah. <laughs> if there's yeah I mean a studio uh, when things are good in a studio and you're creating and you're on a roll it's a pretty good feeling mm -hmm. um, it's hard to beat um, when you're making breakthroughs or painting something and but then the flip side of that is that when it's bad it's really bad you know like that's, yeah. the, that's the hard <laughs> yeah the hardship of being creative is that totally, yeah. there are ebbs and flows and uh and you know catastrophes <laughs> <laughs> complete crises that's a real ar artist answer um what's uh, your favorite place uh damn dude see i'm not prepared <laughs> uh, let me think i mean my other one would be probably some form of nature i mean yeah being from here I'd take that for granted but Every time I come back here, it's just ridiculous how much, how many trees there are in the city. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, in, that in itself is Vancouver always is pretty magical. Yeah. It's so interesting that when I think of favorite place, it's not so much, uh, often is it's not so much about the pl place, but what you get to do. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you, if for example, like you said, if a studio is a place you want to be, basically you're just saying, not even a studio, you're just saying a place where you can create things. Yeah. So, you know, if you set up a little studio in a garden, Mm -hmm. That'd be pretty cool too. <laughs> totally. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Vancouver is pretty sweet though. We get to make art and live a good life. So yeah, for now that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, for now I picked the easy answer, Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> it's Thanks. a level of privilege that we have here Tons. for sure. Thanks, yeah. Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, 
lottery of being born here. That's like. right. It is definitely a lottery. Um, and let's see. Okay, let's do the last one. What's a piece of art that had a huge impact on you? Hmm. Good question. Um, that's tough. I mean, the reason I transitioned into like painting, I guess, traditionally painting, I mean, I was doing uh, art stuff throughout my entire life, but I started really painting in grade 12, like the end of my high school, mm -hmm. like that, that year. And so uh, I was looking at a lot of Jackson Pollock's I would even say Jackson Pollock's like my favorite painter, or even in the top 20 or close to that. But he did have a big influence on just the level of emotion that he himself put into the painting. Mm -hmm. I, I was really drawn to that, the level of uh, passion and movement. And so looking at his paintings and how, how that could convey, like you can really see like mm -hmm. um, the connection between production and product. So, yeah, I would say, you know, and then going to see those in person, um, you know, in the MoMA or, or elsewhere, yeah. um, I think had a huge impact on me. But again, they're not even my favorite paintings. They're not even paintings that, you know, I think about. Uh, I guess as I saw a, a way of someone's now, mm. even being an abstract painter. But my first paintings were, you know, emulating Jackson Pollock's. So he just basically showed you a way that you could do that? Hey, yeah, and think? then I was hooked. I mean, yeah, then yeah. I was, you know, but, uh, you know, I didn't actually touch a brush. Like, I was doing mainly splatter painting and aerosol and things mm -hmm. like that as my, you know, my my intro to painting was... That's awesome. ...was more about trying to achieve the level of active painting. And I think that's still a big part of what I try to achieve is a level of spontaneity through movement. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's a dance that's involved in the act. It means the act of painting, right? Yeah. Like, that's... It's a performance in its own. Um, so when I'm painting things that are more representational, I find that that's lost a little bit, that ability yeah. to just kind of move with the painting. Yeah, but, and that's, I guess, you know, going back to how good it can be when things are good. Yeah. <laughs> that's part of it. You're in the flow. When you're in yeah. the flow, for sure. Totally. Yeah, I know what you mean. That, that's why I think sometimes live drawing has been very helpful to, I mean, if you get the right teacher where the right people who are drawing where you can see a way of being tight but not but still with flow yeah yeah that's a, that's a thing that i've expressed to you before but your work has a sense of it makes sense like if you're if you're drawing a hand <laughs> the hand looks like a hand but it has a, a sense of looseness mm -hmm. in the mark making that i really enjoy and your palette and things that are your own but again like you're saying create a tight representation but with its own style thanks yeah i'm trying uh <laughs> yeah yeah i think uh, trying more of that that's and what making my own i guess yeah. that's what's interests me more and more as i dive into you know some semblance of naive naive realism or whatever you want to call it is mm -hmm. how do you create a still life that says hey this is a bunch of things mm -hmm. these are clearly you know fruit and that's a vase whatever but has a looseness to it that creates a a sense of um, authenticity or yeah, yeah yeah hey i'm looking forward to let me know <laughs> we'll work together I, for people listening our uh, michael and i in our studio are just side by side so we're just looking at each other's others work yeah our lighting is pretty good our lighting <laughs> <laughs> we make good art the yeah. light is somewhat neutral you Thank, know thanks scott appreciate the lighting <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah you should stop by scott <laughs> <laughs>
dude well thank you so much yeah uh, this was a pleasure thanks for taking the time once again sunday and it's sunny outside so i appreciate you being here no my <laughs> pleasure thank you for having me how do people find you um yeah i guess the website is kind of uh a longer more uh concise way of documenting my work you got so it updated with your last art show though that's one uh that's yeah there's a couple that aren't on there for sure no but, but what you need is i think what you need is like photos of the show itself oh the show itself how you hung it because that was cool like on your instagram for people listening you can sh- you see a video mm-hmm. of kind of the experience and i think that's he- yeah i didn't take too many photos i actually that was a that was like a, a thing that i forgot to do and i you know i regret but um yeah i didn't really have time because i was so busy you know first putting it up and then dealing with the show itself that i kind of blanked on the fact that, <laughs> that i should probably document great, all these things hey well that's that's <laughs> there so you said yeah. joseph made it right or yeah joe yeah. made a really good uh, a bunch of videos that were great there um, you go. and that was i think uh, another interesting thing was you know helping art direct that i never like you know thought about oh how do i want to yeah, yeah, yeah. capture this thing and so working with him was really easy um yeah he's an you know, amazing video- videographer that's right knows knows how to you know capture things and and edit things really really well so that was pretty easy but um that was an interesting experiment trying to um think about what i want (laughs) what do you want man yeah can't wait to see show solo show number two coming up coming at us in june hopefully well i'll say hopefully toronto i'll just gonna have to try to find a way to make it there but yeah yeah yeah. you're always welcome (laughs) thanks capturing new markets all right well uh yeah find uh michael at m.rosen instagram and michaelrosen.com his website all right well uh thanks for listening gang i hope you enjoyed this one lots to think about i'm gonna as always gonna have to go re-listen to this next week and see what I learned and see what I missed because uh, <laughs> I'm in the moment yeah <laughs> uh, if you want to find out more about Creative Theory Podcast Instagram Facebook you know where to find us uh, if you're a cool super mega artist reach out because we got to talk otherwise have an amazing week thank you very much thank you bye bye